The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Has the recent loss of a loved one hit you hard? Do you find yourself wishing they were still around without resorting to a Stephen King novel? Well, let us here at Born Again Taxidermy help you out. The industry leaders in human taxidermy, we offer a wide variety of poses to give your dearly departed the most lifelike appearances possible. Choose from styles such as the Rapture, Penance and Sinner, Chastisement, Walker's Wind, and many, many more. No one can bring your loved ones back to life, but with Born Again Taxidermy, you'll swear they're right there with you. Patent pending. Fifty one thousand plus on their feet. Nobody's left to beat the traffic tonight, I guarantee you. Mark gets the sign. The wind and the pitch. Here it is. Fly ball, big left center. Chris, I'm on the run. Yes! 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 Yes
And that's that's the thing on on this Boston series. And that's I picked LA to win. And I've just been I, I don't know how anybody could beat this Boston team in a series like this. There there just has not been a weakness. They're scoring with two outs consistently, just like they did all year long. And their weakness is their bullpen, supposedly, yet their bullpen has been lights out. The interesting thing about this Boston team, you know, there's the, the old phrase, you, you're going to win 54, lose 54, and then what you do with the other 54 that really matters. They won all 54 of those. They won a 108 games through the offseason or in the regular season. So, I mean, they're a juggernaut. We we got to see firsthand how good they are. And even for as much as it felt like we were being beat down by the Dodgers, we we got beat down by the Red Sox way worse. You know, you could you could see it coming from a mile away that they were going to show up in the World Series just ready to go. I mean, and, uh, and it's not the, just that. Chris, get this. Chris Sale went four innings in a World Series game, and they won the game. I mean, that tells you everything you need to know right there. They're so deep. They are so incredibly deep. And like you said, yeah, their bullpen has got some some trouble if if there's a weakness. Like, if you have to single out one thing, that's it. But if a bullpen with Craig Kimbrell in it is a weakness, I mean. Not just like, Craig Kimbrell. Like, one, once they've been in the postseason, I don't think that, that bullpen has really been the quote-unquote Achilles heel that it was meant to be. Nady Eovaldi has come out of the pen multiple times in this, or has come out of the pen already in the World Series. He's probably set to start Game 4 if it comes to it, or maybe Game 5 if they're in a clinching Game 4. But Eovaldi's come out of the pen a couple times this postseason, and he's a guy that was just dominant for them after they added him at the trade deadline. Yeah, and you saw what they did against the Astros, too. I mean, they they didn't even... They brought Chris Sale and then Craig Kimbrell. Yeah, that's... That's strong. I'm, that's, that's pretty strong. I mean, and, and Houston, Houston was no joke. They won 103, even in a division with the A's and with the Seattle team that, that almost won 90 games. I mean, they earned all 103 of their wins and they just looked helpless. And, the Red Sox. and it just was not it wasn't even a fair matchup. And we've talked about this, how I kind of thought that the Red Sox lineup didn't have the same power potential as Houston and as L.A., but it hasn't mattered. Like Mookie has like one hit in the World Series and Boston is still putting up eight runs in the first game. I believe it was four, four last night, six or four last night. But they're just they're just scoring runs and it's everybody else who's picking up the slack. Xander Bogarts has been outstanding. Andrew Benintendi has been phenomenal. Uh, JD Martinez has, has been JD Martinez. Like that, there's just no there's no real end. Rafael Devers has put up one number that he's not actually I want to get this out there. I'm sorry for breaking uh, breaking the train of thought there, but Rafael Devers had 12 RBIs in the world 12 or 13 RBIs this postseason before turning 22. Now, he can't win the record because he's already 22, but do you know who owns the record? I have no idea. That would be Andrew Jones with 14. First, 14. first name that came to mind. Wow. Which, by the way, off-tangent and, and off-script here, that's one of those numbers for Andrew Jones that I point at and be like, you're going to tell me this guy's not a Hall of Famer because of the way the career ended? Like That's a record that it's like Devers cannot beat that record. I don't know who's going to beat that record, by the way. Maybe it's Acuna next year, but... That's that's an unreal record of 14 RBIs in a postseason before turning 22. That's insane. Like That's dumb. Endeavors had an RBI. I don't know if he had an RBI last night, but going into last night, had an RBI in 11 straight postseason games, which is also insane. You know, when you, when you look at look at the Braves when they uh, when they were playing the Dodgers in the NLDS, they looked overwhelmed. It looked like the lights were a little too bright. 
and uh, just collectively, not necessarily individually, since you know Acuna had the Grand Slam and everything. So some of those guys that the lights really are too bright. It's it's so very intimidating. But then every once in a while, you have a guy like Devers who just shows up and it's like, oh, we're just playing baseball here. This is you know, there's no nothing different now than it was in the regular season, and they can still just perform at such a high level. I think that's one of the things about Devers is even though he had some struggles this year. He's he has not had a spot where he's looked overwhelmed at the plate. He's he's come up and you know he'll struggle a little bit, but what young player won't? But he's he's never looked overmatched by anything that he's seeing. He looks like he takes good swings. He doesn't get too high or too low. And this is a guy that I I happen to think is one of the brightest young stars in the game potentially. Uh, I I don't know if the shine has kind of fallen off a little bit since they kind of split time with him and Eduardo Nunez, but I think Devers is a future superstar in Boston. He was one of the guys that even when they were trading off Moncada and everybody to get Chris Sale and to, to make some of the additions that they made, he was one that they held very, very firm that they were not going to move him. And now, now you really start to see why. He's one of those freakish young hitters that just can – he can hit anything. And he hits it so hard. Like Yeah, he does. I don't know if he's going to stick it at third base full time. I have a feeling he'll be moving to first base as soon as Mitch Moreland's contract is up. Uh, but Devers is a guy that I think is going to be a staple in that AL East for a long time to come. He's a good complement to Glaber Torres and Miguel Andujar for the Yankees. Um, but I think the real question is, can the Dodgers actually come back? Because only one other or the last team to win to go up 2-0 in a World Series and lose it is unfortunately the 1996 Braves. Uh, right. Which we'll, we'll, we'll gloss over because uh, glad, glad you brought it up. I had to bring it up because to me, in my eyes, that was that was the one other World Series matchup that you can say. Everybody says that the Braves went to oh we went to so many we only won one. Ninety six was the only time that I felt that the Braves were the better team. Ninety ninety five yes, and then ninety six was the best Braves team. Actually, I think that was the most talented collection. That's the one that I look back on and go, man, you had to have that one. Yeah, I, I like the uh, the offense of the 2003 team. Uh, that was that was really strong. But but even even still, they did they didn't wind up making it to the to the series then. So like um, everybody brings up the '98 one against the Yankees. I'm like, yeah, okay, but that was a pretty strong Yankees group there. Uh, a really strong Yankees group. I don't think you were a better squad there. And then what the '99 with uh, what was that? That was that was the super stud Yankees group at that point. Um, but. Regardless, I don't think this Boston team is going to fall into that trap. I think they're just too deep everywhere. Uh, Porcello has been the definition of steady all year long. Um, L.A. has a chance because they got big, massive power, but Dave Roberts is going to have to pull some some miracles out of his hat if he wants to find a way to to consistently outcoach Alex Cora and somehow – lock down this Red Sox lineup that has gotten hot at the absolute best opportunity. If there's anything that you can point to for the Dodgers, you could say that, you know, they're going back to LA, they'll be in their own comfort zone, but even still, I mean, these Red Sox, they're a steamroller and it wouldn't surprise me at this point to see them take the next two and and have it be a four Oh sweep. And that's not a prediction or anything, but it just, the fact that that's even on, on the, the table is is really uh it's a testament to them about how good they are how good they've been consistently all year and it's just not natural to have Mookie Betts and JD Martinez 
having those seasons on the same team while Chris Sale has that season he had. And, you know, it's they're just – they're ridiculous. And if I, they don't win, they it is going to very, very much surprise me. And I hazard to, to ever predict sweeps. Like, these teams made it to the World Series for a reason. But you, you just look at the way for the Dodgers to win, and I'm not sure that they really can unless they have one of those games where they hit eight homers. Like, they don't have – they don't have the pure hitting to, to go hit for hit with with Boston. Like Boston doesn't have to hit home runs to beat you. Like Boston can grind out hits. Boston can can live off singles and doubles and still put up four or five runs. If LA's not hitting homers, I don't think that they're scoring enough runs to beat them. Not and that's not even going into the fact that LA's bullpen and their rotation is not as strong as Boston's. So I, I agree with you. This Boston team is an absolute juggernaut. Uh, I'm interested to see Porcello versus Bueller because this is a big, big spot for a rookie. And Bueller, while he has electric stuff, he has not. He, how can I put this without being rude um, or being overly dramatic? He he has not looked elite. I'll say in this postseason, he's looked very, he's looked very beatable this postseason. He's looked like a rookie. Even even being a really good rookie, he has a, had a lot of lot of moments where he's just not quite there yet. The stuff is amazing, but but it, it's not consistent enough. Like you saw with the Braves when he issued a bases loaded walk to Newcomb. right? And then and truthfully, he walked Acuna, but that, <laughs> the, thanks, thanks to a terrible call, the the grand slam, the one, best one worst call ever. But yeah, if you're Dave Roberts, would you st- like would you start Rich Hill? Because you got to have game three if you're going to keep going. Would you start Rich Hill over Bueller? Yeah, I probably would. Um, e- even if it does, if it does match up to where you know, if you, the last thing that you want is to wind up going into game four down three nothing, you know. But you almost would, you'd almost feel better saving saving Hill for game four in case you need a must win. But I mean, at that point, you really you just you know backs completely up against the wall, and you're just going to kind of have to. Just kind of string together four wins against a historically good baseball team. I mean, go with Hill, try and make it two one, swing a little momentum in your favor where you can. Because if if you lose on Friday, it's over. I mean, just to show your guys that yes, you can beat this team because you're not coming back down three zero. And if it goes three zero, they take the first game in L A. I do think that Boston will sweep. Um, but that, that's enough about those two teams. Uh, I'm sure we'll keep hearing about them ad nauseum for the next 10 years. Um, but we did do something good. We opened up the mailbag again and uh, we got some really good responses. We got some horrible responses as well. Thank you, Josh and Ken for, for being the bar stool of Atlanta Braves Twitter. Uh, but we're going to go ahead and start these <laughs> off. <laughs> and this is from, uh, from Dean Edson. Who are some of the under radar, under the radar free agents or trade targets that you think the Braves should pursue? And I, that's always a really, really fun question. Um, I've got some names floating around. I've got some names that we've probably talked about already, but I think it'd be pretty good. But why don't you leave that one off, Doc? Um, I had proposed a couple weeks ago. Uh, th- this got us our, our first true nemesis, and it's the entire Pittsburgh <laughs> Pirates fan base. Um, we are the least favorite um podcast for Pittsburgh Pirates fans because I, I had proposed that the Braves should try and and string together a deal with Starling Marte, Francisco Cervelli, and Felipe Vasquez. And uh, I had thought that that uh, – I was wondering whether or not that was a worthwhile trade at all. And Bowman uh, did a 
did a mailbag not that long ago where he also suggested Marte. So what may have been under the radar when I suggested it may no longer be under the radar. Yeah, you so. got to hear first the TPS. And I just want to point out that it wasn't me that got another fan base to hate us. I might have exacerbated the situation, but Doc is the one that got the hate originally, so um, that's on him. But but are you saying that it's Sir, Sir Veli or Marte is the under the radar there, or your whole collection? I would, I would um, probably Marte of of the two. I think that Sir Veli, I think that the the cost for Real Muto, and we're obviously going to get into this in a minute, but I think that the cost of Real Muto might be a little bit prohibitive to where you start looking at other short term options. Um, so I think Marte is the, I think Cervelli is the more logical acqu- acquisition, but I think that uh, that Marte could be somebody that see, he's like a pirate for life. You know what I mean? Yeah. They've got him locked into a really team friendly contract. So I think, I think he's somebody they could uh, they could really look at because there, there's just something about the relationship there after his suspension and everything. I think that and he's he's been accused of loafing in the past. I, I think mean, that, I'm right there with you. By the way, I think Marte would be a phenomenal fit here. Uh, I don't want him in center field. At all, I, I think he's. No. I think he's only playing center because they don't have a center fielder there, and they don't really have one on the way. Uh, I think that Marte is readily available because I think he has kind of worn out his welcome there. Um, he is thirty, so I don't know if you worry about any regression coming his way. But for what you're getting offensively for the, for the contract is, is even if he drops down to like a two sixty type of hitter, uh, and even if he he hits let's say eighteen homers from now on. Um, he steals a ton of bases. He's a great base runner, um, and and he's a good fixture in that lineup. And if it allows you to get a catcher like Cervelli and an arm like Vasquez, I would do that in a heartbeat. I think that I don't think that that should be an under the radar move. I think that that should be a, a heavily thought about move. The real question is, are you going to run a, a deal with that many people with the Pirates? Because if you're going to get all three of them, I think Vasquez surprisingly enough, might be the one that would cost the most as far as prospect collateral. You're probably right. That contract that he's on after this year, he's still got five years and $26 million, which he's a reliever. So the market for relievers has been really, really erratic the past couple of years. So getting him at uh, price certainty, even even in the, the back end of that deal, you know, he's going to be more expensive uh, in 2023 or whatever, but um, he's solid. He is solid, and I've had people telling me, "Oh, Vasquez was struggling last year." He, you know, say what you want about saves and ERA, but he had thirty-seven and a two point two zero. Um, I thought that he pretty- looked pretty good. I mean, there was a couple. There was a yeah. little stretch there when he's starting to give up runs, but he's still a relatively young guy. He's a lefty that throws a hundred mile an hour. Those don't fall off trees. Exactly, and and he's he's got the youth thing. He could he could fit right in with everybody. It'll keep you from having to go after somebody who's, let's just say Brad Brock, just to use an example, somebody who pitched for Atlanta last year and pitched moderately well, but he's also a little bit a little bit older, so maybe not, um, maybe not the best option. As so controversial when, as this may sound, I think Vasquez is better than Minter. Oh, I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. Which is not to take anything from AJ, but Vasquez is special. That is a special arm. I I agree. I like that one. I think um, as far as some under the radar guys. I think Nathan Eovaldi is a very under, would be a very under the radar signing for most Braves fans. I don't think that a lot of people really know too much about him, or they didn't know really about him until he you know started pitching in the World Series. Eovaldi's a guy that I'm not. I don't think he's as good as he is this year. Like I, I don't think that he's that good where he's striking out almost ten or eleven per nine 
uh, and walking under two per nine. I don't think that's him. Uh, but I do think at, at the very least, he's a guy that doesn't walk people. Uh, and that is something that this Braves rotation desperately needs because you talk about all the guys that we have ready to take off or the guys that we have that do well. Fulty can still struggle with walks uh, time to time. His command will kind of leave him. We know what Newcomb is with walks. We know that Freed has bouts of walks. Uh, Tukey's going to walk. Tukey's always going to walk a lot of people. Uh, he's just probably going to strike out enough to offset it. You don't really have a guy who can throw like Avaldi can throw 102 mile an hour. It's not like Avaldi's throwing 92. He can throw 100, and he's comfortable coming out of the pen. He's comfortable starting. Um, he, he's just a, a really solid pitcher. He's not a number one. Uh, I don't even think he's a number two. I think he's a number three type of pitcher. Once he settles in, I think he's uh, I think he's a little bit worse than he's been this year, but a little bit better than he was in 2016. I like Ivaldi. It all just depends on cost. I think the starting pitching market is going to kind of go kind of crazy this year, and we're going to talk about Ivaldi a little bit later when we break down where we're projecting these free agents to go. But that's definitely a guy that I've got circled. Uh, and then Cody Allen is another one, and Scooter Jeanette. Scooter Jeanette is a guy that I would be – if I'm Atlanta, I would be taking a long, hard look at. I don't know how he would be in the outfield. Um, I do know that I want his bat in my lineup. He can mash. He can absolutely mash. And he was – I think that he wants to stay in Cincinnati. I think he's really appreciative of the fact that they gave him a chance uh, after he got – I think got waved by, by the Brewers. He did. And, and for as many – it's it's hard to tell now because this is the NL Central is such a dominant division, but the Reds have a really good farm system. Their future is set up to be pretty bright. So I think that they could be very, very wise to try and lock him up. But if they're not going to, then his value is really high right now. If they think that they need a little more time um, to, to catch up with the Cubs and, and catch up with, with the Brewers and the Cardinals, then I think that uh, they would be wise to, to move on him now because that – that offensive profile is crazy, and it's it's not just inflated by by the Great American Small Park either. Right, he hits away from from Cincinnati as well. He hits just as well away from Cincinnati as he does there. The question is defense there, but that's that's going to be the big thing. You're going to have to trade some defense for offense. There are very few players that are equally talented defensively and offensively. And guess what? Those guys are not under the radar guys. Those guys are very, very expensive guys. Uh, the other one, I do have one more that I forgot to mention. This one, this one might be my, my big one um, with Arizona. I can't tell if they're actually selling or if I don't know if they're going to fire sale or not. If they do, David Peralta is a guy that I could really see the Braves being interested in as a fairly similar profile to Nick Marcakis with a little bit more power. Um, there, there's some injury history there with him, but last year was a phenomenal season for David Peralta, and it probably you probably did not notice just how good his season was. Um, he's a guy that he's not a stud defensively, but he's not really going to hurt you out there. Uh, he's a he's a really really good hitter. He's due for some regression. His BABIP was pretty high last year, but he's a guy that would fit in really really well as replacing Marcakis in one of the corner spots. You keep that lefty bat there, uh, especially if, if you want to platoon with him, you can as well. But I think Peralta is a pretty cheap option, uh, especially if you're trying to, to work a deal where you can get Robbie Ray and David Peralta. I think that that would be very, very worthwhile for Atlanta and something they should really look into. I think so. It, Peralta struggles against lefties a little bit, but as far as the, the defensive thing, um, 
Chase Field, right? That's where Arizona plays. That, that's yeah. that's a pretty big that's a pretty big part. So if he were to come to SunTrust he, for eighty one of those games, he would have a lot less ground to cover. So, and it, yeah, he's not somebody that you exactly have to hide. You know, he's not Matt Kemp. He's not Evan Gaddis. So I think that could be that could be really good. That could be a, a monster deal. Now Ray Ray could be really good. He struggled a bunch this past year too, but. Um, but he was dealing with injuries off and on as well. So. Really weird that he struggled when they put in the humidor. He was dominant when it was the home run park, but put in the humidor and all of a sudden he struggled. Yeah. So he he could be – and similar to another Arizona pitcher, Patrick Corbin, you've got mixed results over the past couple of years. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to give up assets for this guy, whether it's money or giving up prospects, and you have to be positive that uh, – you have to be positive that he's going to be a worthwhile asset to acquire instead of just saying, oh, he was good for one year last year or or whatever. You have to be really positive you're going to do that because if you're doing a deal for Ray and Peralta or something, then that's, that's a lot of prospects. I don't think Corbin, it's, I mean, that's, by the that's way, $100 million. I don't think it would be all that expensive. I think it would cost more if you were to go after a Granky, for instance, and that's a name that's not off the table. Uh, both of those guys are good players, but – Ray coming off the year that he came off, this is definitely the cheapest he would be. I don't think Peralta's a guy that they would hold out for a ton of prospect on. Maybe I'm wrong, but he seems to be he seems to be like a Nick Marcakis type of guy, just a totally undervalued type of player. And I, I if it gets too crazy, then no, because there's other options you can go with. But if it's something that's going to cost you mid tier guys and it's not going to cost you like a top five arm, like I don't, I wouldn't include like a Tuki or a Soroka in that type of deal, but. You know, if it's gonna if it's gonna cost you somewhere along the lines of say Luis Gohara as a centerpiece of that deal, then I think you do it. Um, so good question, Dean. That was a really good question. Uh, yeah. This from Alex Anthopoulos Driscoll in the movie Cars. Do they have to buy car insurance or life insurance? Also, what would it take for the Braves to get Twins outfielder Eddie Rosario? First off, very interesting philosophical debate because the cars are in fact people. I would assume that car insurance is life insurance. Yeah, they they probably have a have a special company that they go through where they can bundle properly. I would I don't think it would be a bundle. I think uh what I do wonder is do they have different premiums? So like in life insurance like rich people of course will have like $750,000 life insurance policies or million dollar life insurance policies. Meanwhile, poor people from my neck of the woods have no life insurance policy. So in the movie Cards, you got to imagine that Lightning McQueen he would have a fairly high car insurance, quote, slash life insurance. Meanwhile, the town that he goes to with all those derelict bums and, and old cars and stuff like that, I'll bet you they ain't got no insurance at all. My question is to you, Doc, what would a cop car do as far as checking license and proof of insurance, right? How would uh, how would that happen? You have just blown my mind right now. Most questions I can formulate some type of response. I got nothing. We need to get Disney on the horn. That's a, that's an important question in their line of apocalypse-driven movies where inanimate objects inanimate objects have have become sentient and rule the world. Uh, but as to the second part of that question, Eddie Rosario would probably be the most expensive twin aside from Jose Barrios. And Doc and I were talking about this before the episode. It really kind of comes down to are the Twins going to sell or are they going to kind of hold serve in a division where there's no clear-cut number two behind Cleveland? And I have a feeling that they're not really going to sell. 
I have a feeling that they're going to kind of they're going to try to get in on the free agent market uh, and try to pluck some gem type guys, some some tier two with some quality like with with some upside type of guys and see where that takes them next year because they're not far removed from being a playoff team themselves yeah they they're in a really weird spot they really are they if they can hang with cleveland i mean they can they can really really return to prominence quickly because the the tigers the white Sox, and the royals are not going to make a whole lot of noise over the next over the next couple years so i think rosario is somebody that they they would hang on to but just as far as playing the game goes, he's about to enter his first year of arbitration. Uh, he's okay on on defense. He can't really take walks. He's got great power. Uh, posted 800-plus OPS over the past uh, two years. The, the closest I could really get for some type of comp for for these deals for similar value was, strangely enough, Andrelton Simmons in 2015. Posted 3.1 F war. Uh, Rosario had 3.4 last year. And D. Gordon, who was 3.6 before he got traded to the Mariners. So you have to take into account contractual obligations. Those deals kind of swung a little, a little wilder, just because Simmons, Simmons was under contractual control, and so was Gordon. He got Sean Newcomb, who was 15th overall prospect in baseball at the time. Meanwhile, when when the Marlins traded D. Gordon, they got Nick Neidert and Christopher Torres, who coming out of a Seattle system that was already nothing to write home about the, that was our number two and number number seven. So neither of those were top hundred guys. I think that the, the biggest barrier to getting a guy like Rosario is the fact that he's, uh, he's relatively cheap now since he's about to go into arb one, but um, you know, you could probably get him for maybe one top hundred guy and a couple of other solid guys from the 15 to 20 range maybe something that wouldn't absolutely cripple you like you thinking you think it's something like a Bryce a Kyle Muller or Bryce uh Kyle Muller and then maybe somebody along the lines of an Izzy Wilson yeah I, th- I think that would get it done I mean that's that's a lot to I mean for the twins they could have have Bryce hanging out in triple a which is you know he could be ready to oh, go I think Bryce would I think Bryce would break camp with them he's got the big league experience and the, and the twins rotation is not that's the thing the twins rotation is not good at all Lance Lynn was horrible for them went to the Yankees and was even worse um I, I'm, I'm it's gonna be I'm gonna put a hold on that because I think that that deal would get it done if the twins are deciding to sell uh if they're not trying to sell and they're gonna try to make a run at the at at a wild card berth I think you'd have to give up substantially more because I think Eddie Rosario is the best offensive player that they have. Uh, I think you'd have an easier time getting a Max Kepler or even a Byron Buxton, as crazy as that sounds. I think it'd be easier to get Buxton than it would to get Eddie Rosario. Uh, If for no other reason than Buxton has shown no ability to stay healthy and has not put together a full season yet. Yeah, I I think he would look great with the tomahawk across his chest. Of course, and he's from here. Here's my problem with Byron Buxton. When everything is working and he's healthy – I love it. Like when the swing is working and his batter's eye is working and he's healthy, he's a 25-40 steal type of guy that can lead off and play the best center field in baseball until Pache gets up. Um, But the problem is we've seen that for all of like three months out of his entire baseball career. Yeah, and there was that talk going around last week. Uh, 
do believe it was with the Pirates fans at Hey Our Guts, where they were they were talking about uh, Chris Archer and ceiling, and we were both arguing like there comes a point where you can't really gamble on somebody's ceiling ceiling anymore. This is just kind of who they are, right? And, and if he and has I, another season where he's only a one half player, I think you now turn the talk of Buxton being uh, a perennial top end player to basically being Billy Hamilton with with the ability to run into a couple more. That's probably not that far off. And, uh, I mean, Hamilton can blaze. That, that I guy, don't, but I don't want him in my lineup. Oh, of course not. But Buxton Buxton can hang with, with that. I mean, he's, he's crazy fast. Buxton is. Um, I, I'd be really interested to see a race between those two. Like those two, I would put I – would, I would place a very large sum that those are the two fastest people in Major League Baseball and that an eyelash might be the actual separator between the two. Oh, it'd be it'd be thrilling to watch. It absolutely would. But uh, but yeah, we will we'll put a hold on that one for now. Uh, thanks, Alex, for the questions. And um, yeah, we hope you like your answers. <laughs> Here we go from Jacob Suttles. One, in your opinion, who has the best guitar skills in the world right now? Number two, why is everybody wanting to trade Ender, who is arguably the best center fielder in the NL and is on a team friendly contract? <sighs> I'm assuming you're going to say Trey Anastasio. Um, I, yeah, I figured he's, you were, I mean, he is, he is incredibly, incredibly diverse at what he can do, but he, he can't play the way that he used to about 20 years ago. You asked that question. Hands down. Trey was the greatest guitar player in the world. I don't care what anybody 20 says. 20 years best. ago. Uh, so that would be 1998. Okay. You'd still be right because yeah. Stevie Ray was already dead at that point. Uh, right. But it, it kind of depends if you're talking about pure technicality. I think it's Joe Bonamassa and, weirdly enough, and this is going to sound crazy to say, but Buckethead. Um, those I two. What did you say? Have you, ever seen, have you ever seen Buckethead live? Yes. Uh, oh, my. That oh my dude God. is a maestro. He is a weird, weird dude. But as far as technical skills on a guitar, um, there are not many better. And Joe Bonamassa, it's like he was like he's he is the quintessential studio musician. Like, yeah, he can play anything. And he plays notes perfectly. He doesn't have a lot of soul, which is why I don't get into Bonamassa very much. Because if you're going to play blues, you got to have soul. And Bonamassa kind of lacks a lot of that. But his pure technicality is he might be the most technical guitar player of all time. I'll say that. Like I've never heard Bonamassa miss a note, ever. Um, that's something. Yeah, he's, he's, pretty, he's pretty amazing. Um, I would like to throw Kaki King into the discussion just cause she, she was the most, that's the most enough. creative. I'd never seen anybody like as far as creativity, I, I, I'll agree with you. And I think that's a big component too. I think uh, when you're talking about best guitar players, it's, it's two totally separate things. There are some guys that when they play the guitar, it just makes a different sound. Like when I talk about Stevie Ray, like the guitar was like, it wasn't a, a machine at that point. Like he made the guitar actually speak to you like that. That's like, when it can evoke an emotion, like when you can hear a lick and be like, the guitar sounds sad or the guitar sounds happy, that's a totally different level of playing aside from technicality. That's just that's just something you have or you don't. As far as that now, I don't really know any guitar players right now who were on that type of level. There's There's some guys that are out there like jazz has taken such a different form any more than it used to, but this guy named Julian Lage, I think is how you pronounce it. I mean, I saw some video of, of this guy just playing in some 
dark little nightclub, and he kind of has that's that where you find them, thing. To, that's where you find those guys, the the blues guys that haven't broken yet, the jazz guys that are just playing in random clubs. That's where you find these guys. Yeah, and and you know, and there's some somebody that's you know somebody that we've literally never heard of is better than all of these guys that, that we're that we're talking about right now. But uh, some some of those guys, it's it just depends on how you define what you want out of out of a musician, out of a guitarist, which is why Kaki King it was to me, she's like, she's like playing over the neck. She's like playing it like a piano, but she's like kind of using the body to do percussion with it. And she's like doing this weird alternate tuning stuff. Like I saw her play guitar and it literally changed how I even thought about the instrument, which is the best compliment I can give to anybody. She blew my freaking mind. And then you get K- somebody like uh, like Lindsey Buckingham, who never plays with a pick. So the sounds that he creates mm-hmm. on a guitar are are things that you don't really hear because he's finger picking different strings at the same time, but because he's using one up higher on the fret, he's just free picking with with his slide hand and with his actual pick hand, and it, it just makes it, there, there's a lot of really great guitar players. If you ever want to know, I guess the the best answer to that question is to sit down in a room full of guitar players and watch them when they're listening to somebody. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to that's a good way of looking at it. So, but to, in that in that same vein as Lindsey Buckingham, I want to throw one more name out there, and I swear we're going to get to the second half of this. Mark Knopfler also plays without a pick. Um, I saw some videos of the way that he uses his right hand as far as like individual picking and stuff. It's mm-hmm. what he, the, the claw hammer technique. Yep, that was one of those few moments that uh, there was like a noticeable difference in the way that I play after I studied kind of the way that he does his stuff. Mark Knopfler is. Awesome, Dire Straits is awesome. You just anyway. you just watch. I mean, the the guy from uh, what's his name uh, from George Lynch from Lynch Mob. Uh, mm-hmm. Weird, like hair metal band. You wouldn't think to find a, a great guitar player, but one of the best guitar players alive still. Uh, now, moving on to the second part of that question: right. Why does everybody want to trade Ender? Uh, I am on the trade Ender train, not because I dislike Ender. I like what Ender is. Uh, he's a Gold Glove defender. Um, you know, he can he, if he gets on base, he's shown the, the ability to start really being good on the base pass as far as actually running. The problem is this is an offensive driven game. And when you've got Pache a year to two years away, you aren't going to have a spot for Ender. Ender is not a guy that profiles to play in a corner. He just he just does not have the power or the the run driving capability to play a corner outfield slot. And Pache is not playing a corner. He's playing center field because he's a better He's probably a better fielder right now overall than Ender, and that should let you know just how good Christian Pache's defense is. Like it is other level good. Um, the fact that it's the other the other fact of the matter is is because really, if you're looking for the Braves to get better, it's going to come offensively. They were an outstanding defensive team, so where they have to improve is offensively. And if you're improving offensively, the two biggest players that you can upgrade from are Ender and Dansby. And I think the Braves are much more likely to trade Ender as opposed to Dansby, even though we know we all know by this point which one I would pick. Well, of course. I wonder how many people <laughs> got blocked and suddenly don't like Ender anymore. And they, you know, because the team is so young and, and just entertaining and affable and it's everything you want out of a team. And then you've got the center fielders who will, who name searches and will, will block people. 
uh, which truthfully is weird. And, it doesn't you know, bother I, me, man. Here's my thing. Like, if you've ever blocked anyone on Twitter, you have no cause to complain about interblocking you. Like, that's part of the whole social media thing. Like, you're not entitled for this person to have to hear you talk about why he should be traded. Like, do you want a professional baseball player to be a little more thick-skinned? Sure. But guess what? Like, it's that dude's prerogative of what he wants to hear on social media, man. You talk about social media being such a dangerous thing for pro athletes. If you don't want to get involved with the back and forth with some players, go ahead. Like, I, it really does not bother me that Ender blocks people. And I'm not just saying that because he hasn't blocked me. Well, and and he hasn't hasn't blocked me either, and I'm I'm afraid that one day uh, I'm going to find out that he he has actually done so. But I mean, Twitter gives you the opportunity, or any social social media outlet gives you the opportunity to customize your view of the world. And if you don't want to have to see people talking about how, you know, saying that they're Braves fans, and yeah, but we should trade Ender. Well, I mean, I he can do that if if he wants to. Um, I I think it's probably not a bad idea to at least looking into it. But I mean, worst case scenario is he's back next year and that's not even that bad of a scenario. Right. I know you obviously, you want to add a masher. You want somebody who's going to, um, who's going to be able to play it out both halves of the season. Yeah. He was great in the second half, but when you look at, you know, Keith law got crucified last year for saying they should trade him because they have a natural center fielder and Acuna and Pache coming up. So, you don't want to say he's expendable, but you could augment another part of your roster. If you were to, to look into moving him, he's on a really friendly deal. His defense is still great. He's so fast. He can give you some power. You know, he, he'll hit you 10 a year, which is not not amazing, but it's still pretty solid. So I, I'm i split on the matter. I, I think you look into it, but you don't, you don't have to move it because he's so cheap. And I because think that's the even, thing. I don't think that they actively look to trade Ender, but if he's like, like I've mentioned before, I think he would be a key piece for say Madison Bumgarner because the giants never want to actually tear down. They just want to retool. I think Ender mm-hmm. would be a hugely valuable piece for a team like that. Um, I think the real, I think it's not a bad thing to say or to shop around Ender. I think it's the fact that you recognize, I think he's one of the most valuable contracts on the Braves. Uh, which is weird from saying that he's a guy that he's one of the two easiest players to upgrade from, but he's still one of the more valuable players. And that has to do with his defensive skills. It has to do with his speed. It has to do with the fact that, generally speaking, he's going to hit close to 300. Uh, he can hit a few different places in the, in the lineup. Uh, he's a good clubhouse guy, and he's on a phenomenal deal. I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing, but we'll, we'll see how it goes. I don't... If I were to lay money on it, I don't think they trade Ender this offseason. I think he's back next year. I, I could see it. I could see it going either way, but I think I think you're right when it's, it's going to wind up being something where uh, it's there's things you can do. You know, he he's a very easy spot to upgrade there. But over the next four years, he's making five, seven, eight, and nine million dollars, which for the value that he gives you. Still pretty solid. It's deal. one of the best contracts on the Braves and one of the best contracts in the outfield in all of baseball. Uh, so good yep. question there, Jacob. Patrick McCarthy asks, what would you give up in a trade for JT Real Muto? Now, this is going to be different. I'm not as high on JT Real Muto as most people. Uh, I think JT is basically a Buster Posey light. Not that that's a bad thing. I think JT's a very, very talented player, um, very athletic catcher, which is kind of the new breed of catcher. But... I would not give up a top five prospect for JT Real Muto. Um, mostly because take the best catcher in the game, 
he's going to miss 30 games. So that inherently takes away some of your value. Two, there's the, the catching in Major League Baseball is not good at all. So having like, – it's not like you have to severely upgrade because there, there's just not – like there's it's not like let's say third base or let's say shortstop where you're in a golden age of shortstops where if you have a bad shortstop, it's really going to be noticeable. It's not that way with catchers. Like there, there's quite a few different guys. I'm a big Yasmani Grandal fan. He's got some problems with pass balls, but Yasmani is a better offensive profile as far as power goes. Um, he's a much better pitch framer, uh, and I believe he's a better uh, catch rate or stealing rate, catch caught stealing rate than Rio Muto as well. Uh, and he's a guy that yeah. you don't have to give a, a prospect for. I think JT is a guy who's good at everything without really standing out anywhere. And for me, if I'm talking about giving up, uh, you know, a, a Mike Soroka or a Tuki Toussaint or a Christian Pache or an Austin Riley, which these are the four that they would be looking at. I want a guy who, A, is going to be, you know, a 150-game type of guy, or B, is going to make a, a huge difference and be a top in the league at something, uh, not a guy who's kind of a sum-of-his-parts type of guy. I think that's a really good way to put it. And I have the more I think about it, like, Real Muto is really solid. I could I could make a case for... Why the Braves will probably push on push to get him? I wonder how much of that has to do with Bowman repeatedly saying, you know, they tried him last season, they tried him at the trade deadline, they're going to try him again in the in the off season. So maybe maybe they wind up swinging a deal, but I don't I don't know if I would move the parts it would take to get him because Miami's off season last year was so uneven because they traded. Stanton for salary relief. They traded Ozuna for Alex Ren- or for uh, what's his name? Sandy like, Sandy Alcantara. Yeah, and Magnura Sierra and some other pieces and and Alcantara was like the back of the top hundred. And then, then they for got Yelich, a, they're they got, like they got a great deal. Let's not let's not be revisionist history there. For what they got a phenomenal deal for Christian Yelich. It just so happens that Yelich was in the MVP this year. Like getting Brinson and Monty Harrison, that's a that's a good deal for what Christian Yelich was before this season. No doubt about it. And that that's part of what I'm talking about with the unevenness is because they went from yeah, we'll just take some prospects that don't even have to be great. Then they're like, okay, we want Brinson and Harrison and Isan Diaz. Right. Like, we want three top ten prospects. Okay, so the next thing you know, they're like, we're not trading you real, real Muto uh, unless you give us Acuna. Like, oh, come on! <laughs> what are you doing? Right, you can, you can lick my balls, uh, yeah. especially because they turn... The, the problem with that is I don't think they're going to want to get burned again because last year they wanted Robles. The Nationals offered... Uh, what's his name out in left field? Uh, I don't know why I'm blanking on Soto. Juan Soto. Juan Soto, yeah. And they said no. Now, I guarantee you they'd like to have that deal back, but that means that they are not going to get burned a second time. So that means they are going to ask for Pache or Riley or Kyle Wright maybe. If it was Kyle like if it was Kyle Wright as a centerpiece, I would do it, but I don't think it's going to be. I think it's going to be Austin Riley because they need a third baseman because Brian Anderson, I don't think that they're moving him out of right field where his, his arm might be the best in the majors. Uh, yeah. And I, I think Christian Pache would be the other one because Lewis Brinson, I think that they might try to move him off of center field to see if the taking away some of the responsibility on defense opens up his offense a little bit. Maybe so. And they can put Sierra out in out in center field as well. So it's going to take a lot. Sierra's you know, what, garbage. You can't put Sierra in center field. 
That dude's uh, arm is so weak. That dude is Juan Pierre. He's got the speed though. He's got the speed to cover the the, uh, the range. So maybe, maybe not. Maybe <laughs> I could be wrong. <laughs> but if Magnus Sierra is playing center field for the Marlins, Ashley, uh, one of our our Twitter friends, she's going to pull her hair out because you're going to see a dude that can't hit the cutoff, man. Much less make a throw to second. So, and that's not the type of prospect that you go after when you're when you're moving Marcelo Zuna. Right. Which yeah. was so. I thought. Like, I personally, I thought Yelich would be the one that brought the least return. Uh, you know, you can make a case for that, but I mean, really, it's Stanton because I the mean, contract. Jose Jose Devers is okay. He can throw hard, but but that's that's kind of it. And it's like, oh yeah, and then we'll we'll pay the remaining two hundred and ninety seven million dollars on his deal. Like, cool, great. <laughs> At least they're but, getting rid of that stupid sculpture, right? But as it pertains to Real Muto, it is going to take a lot. Um, I, I think you're looking at at least two top hundred guys. That's going to be the ask. I'm not saying that that's what they're they're going for. Could be more. I don't think that they're in a position to just take a big depth type deal. So they're they're going to try and shoot the moon and and uh, just kind of see what they can come away with there. So um, plus to answer your question, Patrick, I'm going to say um, not enough. Yeah, I think that's the best way to put it. I'm not giving up nearly what it's going to cost. Now that they're you know they're feeling froggy, they're walking chest out. Now that they got the Mesa brothers, which I I said, how bad is that for Baltimore? <laughs> they missed the Mesa brothers and Sandy Gaston. I I said it after the Gossman deal. If they if the Orioles cannot land the Mesa brothers, that deal was pointless. Not even the brothers, just Victor Victor. <laughs> like, yeah, e- either of them, you know. Like, and they didn't land any of the top three. That's embarrassing for Baltimore. Oh man. Now this from uh, from good buddy of the show, Prospects Braves. If you guys don't know, that's Jeff. We've had him on before. A life question: Why are we still talking about baseball when it ended two weeks ago? I don't know. We're from the really. future, Jeff. We're just here to let you know. <laughs> you know, it's uh, it has been a very strange two weeks to uh, to go without having Braves games on, and it, it happens every season where it's, it seems like you know every time you turn the TV on, there's a Braves game on, and then just that slow slog through the fall, and then through the winter, and then just praying, <laughs> watching every other day. teams get get to go to the yeah. playoffs and hoist a trophy and. Other fan bases get to be so excited that they cry, and meanwhile, we're just over here Scrooge McDucking it, and just waiting for trades. You know, <laughs> right. trade season. You know, they acquired Shane Carl for cash. All right, you know, Woo! that's a way to, we got something. Yeah, that's a way to brighten up a Thursday. At the time, nobody had ever heard of Shane Carl, but uh, you know that type of stuff is exciting. So give it time. Give it time, Jeff. Eventually, we will stop talking about baseball, but not now. In answer to your question, because we're damn professional. That's why. Um, hear that? Professionals. All right. And uh, last one that we're going to do for the mailbag from friend Andy Harris. The six-disc white album remaster is $140 pre-order on Amazon with demo tracks and outtakes. I really don't need to spend that kind of money. How can I – or can you explain to my wife why I'm going to get it anyway? Uh, very simply put – it's the Beatles. Let it go. Let it be. I think that uh, you never know whether or not uh, there Let could have go. been a better a better solo for Save Our Truffle or, or something. Or maybe they've got a, the hi-hat turned up in uh, Revolution. Right. Uh, I mean, you already have how, all the songs anyway, but that's not the point. The point is 
it's the Beatles and it's a white album remaster with demo. Okay. I mean, I'm, I didn't even want that until we started talking about it. And I kind of want it now. So thanks a lot, Andy. Well, besides which you like, does everybody realize, and I know we're, this is not sports that we're talking about, but you guys realize that how, for how insanely huge the Beatles are is one of the most influential bands of all time. They came out with three albums. Wait, what? No, they had more than that. Not no. What was it? Three together, wasn't it? Well, they had. I mean, they had Rubber Soul. They had Revolver. I'm talking uh, about real albums, not remasters after the band broke up or, or re-released. I'm talking about while they were the Beatles. Oh yeah, they they Abbey had Road, uh, rubber, rubber Soul, Revolver, Sergeant Pepper, uh, Magical Mystery Tour. Wasn't Sergeant Pepper but, like? I didn't think Sergeant Pepper was one that they toured. I thought that that was the one that was after. No, that was uh, that was '67, like right before Magical Mystery Tour. But what's amazing to me about them, and I, I this is like a half music, half baseball episode. But craziest thing about the Beatles is that for the amount of societal impact that they had, like hearing my parents tell the story about what it was like when they when they came over from Liverpool and just kind of just completely invaded American culture. It was like 1962, and they stopped making music they stopped touring in in the late 60s and then they they had broken up by 1970 so the most influential band in the history of the world was only together for eight years that's crazy okay so here's the thing in the uk between 62 and 70 they had 12 studio albums but the international one is a little bit more complicated because a lot of those are on the same like are basically the same album just released in different parts of the country so then they had a yeah. bunch of EPs and a bunch of LPs and a bunch of singles. Yeah, that was I've kind of wondered about some of that early material too, like Beatles for Sale and Meet the Beatles and Please Please Me and like all everything that was going on at the beginning. What as far as albums proper, um, what kind of fit in where? And I've for me it really started with with Rubber Soul. I think uh I think I don't know. I mean that's that's a tough one. Like I've never been like huge, huge as the Beatles. Really, I like the Beatles, but like I've I've had other artists that I like more. Uh, as as fast as that is to say, um, as cliched as it is, though, I think Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, which by the way, that might be my favorite. But I also I really liked Abbey Road. I had. I had Abbey Road when I was like 14, 15, and it just completely went over my head. Like, I could tell it was good, but I didn't fully get it yet. And then after, I think I was probably 21, when I started to really, really get into them. And I went back, I'm like, how did I not get this at the time? It's so good. So, so good. And for as good as the White White Album is, there is is some filler on there. Let's not act like Wild Honey Pie actually deserves to be on the album. Well, I but, think I think that's one of the things that we can both agree on. It's like some Beatles songs, it's okay to say we're just not good. Like some of them weren't meant to be good. Uh, like not another Northern song. That song is horrible, and it was meant to be horrible. That was George Harrison being pissed off. <laughs> they they were churning out so much material at the end. Like John and Paul were writing a song a day, a piece for years and years and years. So. Uh, there's bound to be some slop in there. They can't all be Blackbird or Yesterday. And like you know that they were only together for ten years from the time that they joined together in England to the time that they had that they ended with that show on the rooftop. Mm-hmm. Like ten years. Yeah. It's nuts. And and sometimes you look at people like Jimi Hendrix, who look at the impact that he had 
and uh, he was only around for like three years, four years. Right. It's insane. Um, mm-hmm. Also, hot take: Jimi Hendrix is not as good as people thought he would be, or thought that think he is. You're high on drugs. <laughs> uh, no, I think that's actually part of the problem. I think what Jimmy was was an innovator, and that is totally different uh, because a lot of Jimmy's works are phenomenal works, uh, but his best – I still think his best song is probably all along the Watchtower, and it's not his. Well, I say that, but Bob Dylan has already said, no, that's his song. Well, I mean, it was uh... – I like his version of All Along the Watchtower, and and it's easy to and I I I've have thought before that Jimmy was more um, developing the technique and sticking to like what he was best at, which was just shredding. But That's if you look I would back say. at all, all those songs, like the entire Are You Experienced album and Electric Ladyland, yeah, there's some there's some weird stuff going on on there. And Axe as Bold as Love, I mean, some of the some of that those albums are just so spectacular, and it's not just the shredding, like the like Spanish Castle Magic and uh, uh, God, there's just so many, so many awesome songs. He, he, I almost think he doesn't get the credit that he deserves as a songwriter because of how hallowed his his abilities I mean, as a soloist were. He's almost like Pink Floyd to me, where like completely yes on the innovative side of it, of it, one of the greatest of all time. But the amount of drugs really did affect a lot of performances like Jimi Hendrix live. I think we're at the point where we can say that 90% of Jimi Hendrix's live performances were not good. His, uh, his version of the star spangled banner. Um, that's one I, was, I love it. It's, I think it's terrible. What? It's, it's, it's so it's innovative. You like Santana's like, version better. What's that? Do you like Santana's version better? I'm actually not familiar with it. Oh. You know who? You, oh, no. you know who did the best Star Spangled Banner I ever heard? I swear this is true. Who? Boys to Men. Best. Dude, theirs was really good. I'm not gonna lie. That was the best thing I've ever seen. Like it was un- unbelievable. But uh, but yeah, I think that it was such as weird. Like when he was playing that version of Star Spangled Banner. Um, Keep in mind, his set at Woodstock kept getting pushed back and pushed back and pushed back. Like he he was supposed to be, he was the last artist that played, and uh, like he was supposed to start Sunday night, but it kept getting pushed back to where the video you see it's in the daylight because it's like his set started in the morning. So he'd been up for days. Uh, the people in the crowd had been up for days, and that was a very defining moment because he's like. Uh, He's recreating the bombs bursting in air on his guitar. But here's the problem is that recreating bombs bursting in air on your guitar sounds like shit no matter who you are. So it was <laughs> I think uh, I think that's the point of that. Is I think uh I think Jimmy might be the most he might be one of the one or two most innovative guitar players ever. The stuff that he was doing was stuff that was not around at the time. He was he was very far ahead of his time and just his influence alone, I'll put him up there as a goat, but him period i think he gets overrated a little bit i i can see that i i think that he's uh what he did for for technique and stuff was very uh very prominent i i think his his abilities as a uh as a songwriter are underrated though okay. stick by that forever well, so anyway. by the way yeah andy <laughs> spend the money buy the white album just do it you have to 
you'll you'll love it and you'll listen to it nonstop. Now back to baseball. Thank you, Andy, for for getting us off topic. But we are going to go ahead now, and this is our last little segment of the day, and it is the Platinum Sombrero free agency projections. So what we're going to do here is I'm going to name off a guy, Doc. You're going to tell me where you think he's signing. I'll tell you where I think he's signing, and we'll go from there. Sound good? Perfect. Number one, the main guy out there, the big fish, Bryce Harper. I think Bryce Harper signs with the Los Angeles Dodgers. I think, think I think he's a Philly. Uh, I think that they have a ton of money to throw around, and that's a ballpark that he would be excited about playing in. Yeah, I, I'm kind of scared of that. I, I, I really am. Because they have so much money. Like, the, how much money do they have committed next year? Like, eight, nine million dollars. It's <laughs> right? not much at all. They have some bad like, contracts, but you know they're going to move them. Like, I, like Carlos Santana is not going to be there. Yeah, he's gone. And they still got Arietta, who's making twenty five. But, but for the, they have a really good TV deal, and uh, they have a ton of money to spend. So, yeah, they can they can afford him. All right, big name number two, Shrek or Manny Machado. <laughs> uh, I actually have him going to the Phillies with uh, I had the Braves as my dark horse for Bryce Harper. I don't think that he's going to wind up signing with the Braves, but I, I haven't completely given up hope and I will not give up hope until he signs with somebody else. <laughs> I think the only way he's a brave is if Freddie like begs him and cries in front of him and he's willing to take an opt out deal, which I don't, I don't think that is completely off the table. Um, like I'd Freddie, give him, I'd give him a six year with an opt out after the third. I think that's that's the max deal. I think that the Braves would do. I I think so, and uh, and he's not going to take it. You know what I mean? But I I, I think that that's um, that's a really interesting match between Harper and the Braves. But I also think that as it pertains to Machado, my dark horses for them are or for him are the White Sox and the Padres, and the reason why is because both of those teams are right behind the Braves as far as emerging from their rebuild white also, Sox both would we, let him play shortstop what's that also both would let him play shortstop right and they the padres have enough the 2020 padres are terrifying already as it <laughs> Fernando is you know, when tatis got, jr yeah i mean they've got tatis they got mejia like every you know we talk about the braves farm system all the time and it's great the Padres farm system is better and it, I don't even want to I don't want to say that it's not close but as far as being top heavy the Padres are insane they are crazy they are going to be so good th- th- as soon as next year maybe because they'll have the chance to to beat up on the Giants you know what I mean the Rockies will will probably regress the Diamondbacks who knows what they're doing I don't think that the Padres are necessarily going to win the West but I, I think that if you can look at who they've got coming up and they've got minimal payroll committed. You can look at a guy like Machado and say, "Yeah, come on, you know, come come play here." He's got the strength to where he can hit him out of Petco. There's gaps for days that he can hit him into. I mean, I think that either uh, San Diego or Chicago has a real legit outside shot. However, I have not let you answer. <laughs> I think he's a Yankee. It's the worst kept secret in baseball that he wants to go to New York. That he wants to be a star outside of baseball and. He ain't going to the Mets, folks. Uh, now that <laughs> the Yankees have announced that Didi has to have uh, Tommy John surgery, I believe it was, or Didi's yeah. getting some sort of surgery. I think it's Tommy John. <clears throat> that opens up shortstop for them. Uh, Manny is going to go over there, and I, I bet you he'll play shortstop. Maybe they do what they did with A-Rod and offer him a little bit more to play third base, but I would imagine he's going to be your fixture at shortstop until they either get somebody else through trade or 
until DD gets back. Um, Dallas Keuchel. I got Dallas Keuchel going to Philadelphia as well. I, I think that when you look at Nola and Arietta and uh, Pavetta pitched well against the Braves a couple times, but Pavetta's like, got a lot of juice on there. Like, Pavetta's got an insane curveball. Yeah, and he he did really well against the Braves, but he didn't really do that great against everybody else. And you got guys like Zach Eflin. And I think that, that they really need – if Philadelphia is serious about making a playoff run next year, they are going to have to add either Harper or Machado and a guy like Keuchel or, or trade or trade for somebody that they can plan in the rotation with Nolan and Arietta because the Braves are – Braves are going to be dangerous, man, and the, the Phillies are good, but I they're the Phillies are they, good. They they've have got more work to do. They've got more holes that they have to plug in. They've got some stuff that just didn't work out, and it's a real question whether or not Kapler is going to be the guy to be able to lead that team. Personally, I don't think so because I think he lacks any and all managerial experience. But I got Keiko going to the Cardinals. I think he just he just fits St. Louis. What they like to do. He's very understated, uh, big ground ball guy, control type of guy. Uh, I think he's. He's just going to fit in, and that's that St. Louis rotation that needs a lot of help. Surprisingly, for the first time in a long time, St. Louis did not really have a good rotation at all. Uh, I think you get Keuchel in there, and I think that, that that's the guy that they go after huge. Yeah, with with Wainwright, he's going to be there, but at this point, he's he's more of kind of the veteran as opposed to being like the dominant shutdown guy. Uh, the John Gant trade did not really work out. For, for St. Louis, you know, and and Miles Mikolas was was a very savvy pickup for them. But you're right, and they they if they're going to jump out of third place next year, they are going to have to add. Well, you and think about I, it, that would give them Keuchel, Mikolas, and Flaherty, and that that's that's a strong three right there. Yeah, no doubt. May not be quite enough to get them over the hump, but they would certainly be better. Maybe not, but then you also have uh, Alex Reyes, who should be back relatively soon, uh, since. Unfortunate that he got hurt. Fortunately, he got hurt early in the year, so uh, he yeah. should be ready to go fairly quickly. And they've got some they've got some other good pieces in there as well. Um, Craig Kimbrell, we both agree that he is going to the Cubs. Uh, I think it's too good of a fit for them. I think they miss not having Araldis as anybody would. Um, I think uh, I think Kimbrell's going to come back to the National League, and I think the Cubs are going to have they're going to be stinging a little bit from getting bounced. Uh, and they're going to look at that bullpen and realize that, hey, we need a guy that can shut people down, and I think that they have they always have plenty of money to throw. I think they'll be the ones to give Kimbrell that big deal. Yeah, I think the, the money is going to play a big part of that too, and they're, they're in their window. It's not like there's a, there's a starting. You know, they, they, they have, have to. Like, they don't have – the, their minor leagues suck now because they traded away everybody. It's like they mm-hmm. have to win as much as possible now. And for the, their bullpen last year, you know, it was Pedro Strope and Brandon Morrow, who got both of those guys got shut down. And, Coral. Yeah. I mean, they, they just, they need, their offense is obviously insane, but they, they need stronger pitching. So I think Kimbrell's a really good spot for them. And the, the money will be, the money will talk there because they, they have enough money. The Ricketts family has enough money to, to throw at him uh, to bring him there. And we also agree on the next one on this list as well, and that is Patrick Corbin to the New York Yankees. New York guy growing up, uh, everybody knows that that's that's one of his favorite teams. They've got a ton of money to throw, and they're big on upgrading their rotation, uh, getting somebody with 
Luis Severino who can be dependable. Masahiro Tanaka is very talented, uh, but there is some worry about his injury history. Uh, they're looking to get out from the Sonny Gray deal, and I don't think that they trust a lot of the young guys yet. So I think that we can both agree Patrick Corbin is pretty dead solid on going to the Yankees. Yeah, I think I think you're probably right. Here's the next one. Yasmani Grandal. You guys already know that I think he's coming to Atlanta. Fits too good and puts Tyler Flowers into a backup role, kind of where you know he fits a little bit better because Yasmani uh, hits lefties and righties. Uh, he's a switch hitter, really good pitch framer, number two in all of baseball, uh, really good arm, and has a lot of power. And I can see all of those being. I mean, that's that sounds like just just what you want from uh, from a catcher. And uh, part of the reason I, I have him going to the Nationals. Uh, because I think that the he basically would be what they hoped they were getting when they signed Matt Wieters, and uh, that deal really didn't work out for them too well. Which is a shame because I mean Wieters he was okay when he was playing with Baltimore before he, before he came to Washington. But I, I still think that uh, that they go after a catcher, whether it is Real Muto, whether they decide that uh, a deal for him is palatable, or if they get a Cervelli or or someone. I think that. Uh, yeah, I just think Grandall winds up going to Washington because even if even if they do lose Harper, they Soto has established himself. They've got uh, they still got Scherzer coming back. They show, still got Strasburg. It's Rose. easy to think. It just, well, yeah, and just because they they fell apart this year doesn't mean they're going to fall apart again next year. So uh, I think that they're still going to be kind of active. But I would not be mad uh, to see him see him on the Braves at all. Nathan Eovaldi. That is someone else that I would not mind seeing on the Braves, and that is why I actually have the Braves signing him. I think that uh, the the quote Anthopolis had about we're not going to spend just because we have the money to spend, I think is a very astute point. And I think that also we start looking for bargains on, on the on the market. And I mean, Evaldi's making two million dollars this year or something, and he's going to take a lot more than that next year. Like I could see him getting three years at 45 or, or something like that. And I think that that's something that's where it's short enough term and low enough average annual value to where the heat still is worth more than that. He's not going to cost a qualifying offer because he got traded from Tampa to Boston in the, the middle, middle of the season. Not that he, it would he, matter. Well, you know, he, he's, uh, he's still got some in the tank and you've got some injury concerns, but because he's, he's had the two Tommy Johns, but, I mean, Ventures had three and a half, and he he was great down the stretch. So it's not always a not always a death sentence. So yeah, I have Nathan Ovaldi coming to Atlanta, and you have him. I have him staying put and staying with the Red Sox. I think they really love what they got out of him. He's a very steady presence. Uh, it's good to have somebody in that AL East that doesn't walk a lot of people, where everybody seems to be able to hit home runs. So I think that they'll throw more money at him. Uh, and I think he'll stay there. I would love to have him here with the Braves. You're talking about giving him 15 million a year. I don't know that uh, if you give if you go to 15 million a year, I think you'd be a Brave because uh, I don't think anybody else would give him 15. But you're talking about the Red Sox, who can always just outbid anybody they want. Yeah, yeah. What's their payroll? 223 billion. <laughs> Something insane. AJ Pollock. Uh, I've got Pollock going to the Indians. Uh, there's going to be a spot open in their outfield after Michael Brantley leaves. Uh, I think he would be really well suited to go to an American League team. He and uh, he and Brantley are very similar in their inability to stay healthy, just because of random kind of freak things there. Um, I think that it be having the ability to play DH, uh, especially for for a contender, could be really good for him. It could probably preserve his uh, his baseball life by a year or two. 
I've got him going to the Nationals. Seems to be uh, seems to be kind of a fit for what they want. Adam Eaton hasn't really been good, and he's been struggling to stay healthy. And Pollock is a better version of Al- uh, of Eaton, even uh, even down to the injuries. Uh, I think they're going to want to throw some money around. I think that they feel good about Soto and Robles. Uh, I think that they would definitely want to upgrade from Michael Taylor. So I think that Pollock would be the guy that they're going to kind of plant their flag on. I think they'll outbid Cleveland because Cleveland has some other concerns. I'm not sure Cleveland has the money to throw around to get into a bidding race with somebody like Washington. Yeah, that's fair. Well, and in this scenario too, I have, uh, I have the nationals getting grand all. So, uh, in that scenario, they wouldn't have as much money to throw around as they would. I think that this is the first uh, first fake signing you have for Washington on yours, so they they have a little bit more money to, to throw around in the scenario. I can see it. I absolutely could. I think that the that how bad does that Eaton trade look for them? Whoo! I mean, that was a that was a bad one. But I mean, are, even, if, even if Jolito stays in the tank, having like uh, <laughs> you gave up, and you gave up Ronaldo Lopez. Yeah, you gave up three of your top arms, which seems insane. But that sucks for them. It's good for us. Hinjin Ryu, staying with LA for me. I think he's a good fit, and um, I think they've even if they are to sign Harper, like I have them doing, I think they've got the money to to bring him back. I've got him going to the Phillies. I think that they'll overpay to get him in there just because they want to upgrade that rotation and kind of go at it now. You add Hinjin Ryu and be able to put him in like a fourth starter role because I already have them getting Keuchel. Uh, gives them some nice lefty-righty stuff in there to split between Arietta and uh, Nola. So I think that that is, uh, for a team that has a lot of money, I think Ryu would be a very astute pickup for them. Yeah, I think so. He's still got He's still got a lot left in there. He's got a, he's got like a six pitch arsenal, and he knows how to throw. So I think that that's a good move for either of those squads. Michael Brantley. In my perfect scenario here, the Braves pull off that Marte Cervelli Vasquez deal, uh, which is why I don't have the Braves signing uh, Yasmani Grandal, um, and I I also have the uh, have the Pirates signing Michael Brantley, so they can put uh, have him to replace Starling Marte in their outfield, or if nothing else. Uh, replace Gregory Polanco, who had uh, shoulder surgery, I believe yep. it was. For like second so, time. Yeah, so he's going to be, if he comes back at, at full strength next year, it certainly won't be coming right out of spring training, I wouldn't imagine. So uh, I think that there could be there could be a fit there, but I think that uh, anybody who's listening to this would probably be excited to find out that you have Michael Brantley going to the Atlanta Braves. And I think that that's the one they said that they're not going to go, you know, they're probably not in on Harper or Machado. I think Brantley is the next guy for position guy for the Braves to plant that flag on. Uh, Brantley can do a little bit of everything. He doesn't quite have the same power he once possessed before all the injuries, but he's still relatively quick. Uh, he's not horrible, horrible on defense, but he's a corner guy. Um, he's lefty who who hits really well, hits at the top of lineups. Very, just a, a very solid type of player, and he's actually been healthier than I thought he had been. Still hasn't been really healthy, but. He's been a lot healthier than I thought. So with that in, in tow, I think that the Braves could kind of go relatively big on a short deal for Michael Brantley. I would not hate that at all. I really, I really think I could, uh, I could get down on that. Now here's here's another big time controversial name, Josh Donaldson. <laughs> I have him going to the Cardinals. I think that they, I think that the Jed Jerko era is over. I think they're going to need somebody who they can kind of lean on a little bit more. And when Donaldson was healthy with Cleveland, he actually did, did pretty well for himself. So uh, I think, yeah, I think he winds up in St. Louis. 
Unfortunately, I've got him going to Philadelphia as well because the Phillies have just an insane amount of money from the TV deal. They've got an ownership group that would more than welcome ponying up for anything. I think Josh Donaldson instantly replaces Michael Franco uh, as a more consistent guy over there at third base, and they haven't liked Michael Franco for like three years. Um, if Donaldson's healthy, that's a huge pickup for them in that little ballpark. Solves a lot of their problems with their defense because Donaldson is a very good defensive player, and nobody on the Phillies can play defense. Yeah, <laughs> we got to see that uh, firsthand last year. That's yeah, really where where they left Carlos Santana as the lone man on the left side of the field during a shift. Uh, with Josh Donaldson, you could actually do that. Well, I hope that if he does wind up signing with Philadelphia, God, this is going to sound horrible. I hope he's not healthy if he signs with Philadelphia. <laughs> Mike Moustakis. You know, with Moustakis and Donaldson, I think that there you could kind of um, – it's almost like a pick them with these two. You only have so many teams that are really going to need third baseman and having both of those guys available, I think is um, it's kind of a crapshoot. I have uh, him going to the Indians as well. I think maybe the odds of doing Pollock and Moustakis are probably bad, but Cleveland is going to lose Donaldson at the end of the year. And they got him because they, they needed to do some type of quick incremental upgrade at the, at the waiver trade deadline. So I think Moustakis could come in is he will be a really interesting one to watch his deal. Especially after of, last offseason. Say that again? So especially after last offseason. Well, that's that's what I mean. Like, he, he can't get the qualifying offer again, so it might not uh, might not affect him as much. But even still, that deal that he took from Kansas City was um, – <laughs> Yeah, it was not a phenomenal deal for him. I've got him yeah. going to the Cardinals because I agree with you. I think Jed Jerko is back to being a utility guy. And I think that's where Jerko fits best, where he's able to float around the diamond. Uh, I think Moustakis is a guy that I think that St. Louis would prefer Donaldson, uh, but I think that they'll have to settle for Moustakis. Um, gives them some some more lefty power in that lineup as well. Uh, not good defensively, but since when has that mattered to St. Louis? They ran Jose Martinez and Matt Carpenter on the same infield. Yeah, Jose Martinez is bad news. He's bad. He needs to go to the AL. Um, that most definitely. <laughs> J.A. Happ, we both agree, going back to the Yankees, and we both agree because the Yankees have already said there's huge interest in being in bringing him back, and he has interest in going back there. No need to really talk about that. I'd like to see the Braves get J.A. Happ. I think he's a very good pitcher without being sure. a great pitcher, but I think that we can both agree that the Yankees are, let, are not letting any starters that they like get away from them. Agreed. That's that's a really good fit. And I remember a couple of years ago when he wound up signing that deal with the Blue Jays, thinking, "Man, they are insane. They that right? is such a I terrible deal." I thought that deal. same thing. Is like for Jay Happ, and now yeah, I'm like, why? Now I'm like, oh man, I wish we had done that. It makes a looking back, it makes a lot of sense. And they were even able to to flip him for Brandon Drury at the at the end of the deal. So hopefully, hopefully that guy gets a shot. He's been. He's been looked over so Former many times. Former Brave, I love me some Brandon Drury. If he had been healthy, I would have him on here too. Uh, Evan Gaddis, we both agree, going to the Rays. Um, they need some thump in that lineup, and he's a perfect DH candidate. The only thing with that is C.J. Crone. Do you think they trust Crone enough to play him at first base consistently? I think that between Crone and Gaddis, I think that you could you could run either of them out at first, the interchangeable DH. Um Gaddis maybe could could still catch a little bit if he had to. Uh, I just see that as a really good uh, low cost uh, addition for them. Somebody who, I like agree. you said, for a team that was so close and in any other division would have made the playoffs. 
Absolutely. And and having Tommy Pham and Evan Gaddis right there in the middle of your lineup, that's that's dangerous. That's some punch with Willie Adamas now. Like they they've got some they've got some pieces there. Uh glad we agreed on that. Nick Markakis out of Young Harris. Uh, Nick Markakis out of Young Harris. I had such a hard time finding a logical match for him. And I think I just I wrote down the Blue Jays. I I, I don't even know why. Like I, <laughs> I, I I hate it because I mean he has been he was such a huge part of what he was this team's heart on years that the team had no heart basically. It was it was him and Freddie and that was that was really kind of it. And I I hate the idea that he's going to hit the market here and not be able to find a contract. But I almost there's a couple casualties every year where where somebody's got to hold out. I mean, Arietta wound up holding out till February this year, you know. And I don't know. I I don't see him coming back to Atlanta, but I don't really see him winding up anywhere else. He's still, even for the fact that he fell apart in the second half, he's still too good to just be a bench guy. Not to and not to mention he wouldn't go for that. I think that he would retire before he took a bench role, but. Yeah, I got him going to Toronto, and I don't know why. I've got him going to Minnesota. Like I said, I don't think the Twins are ready to tear down, but I do think the Twins would love to have a guy like Marcakis in that locker room around a lot of their young players uh, to kind of help them with some consistency. Another team on the watch would be Cleveland. Uh, I think Cleveland would be another fairly high team on the list for Marcakis as a as a team that kind of appreciates that understated ability, that that kind of in-your-own-zone where you know Francisco Lindor and Jose Ramirez are the, are the two superstars, so everybody else just kind of come in and, and don't screw everything up. I think Marquecas would be a good table setter in that offense for them. Um, but I think Minnesota ultimately is the one that will pay him the most and give him a chance to actually start. Now that you mention it, I think Cleveland – I know I had, had Cleveland getting uh, getting Pollock and Moustakas, so they're, they're obviously running out of money here. But they if they were – if they miss out on Pollock and they, they don't want to re-signing Brantley, I think you're right. I think that that could be a, a really good that could be a really good fit. I mean, because they're we were talking about the AL Central earlier in this series. They're gonna win the division next year, even if they don't make any any big upgrades. But the veteran presence, people laugh about it, people mock it all the time, but it is real. And being in the AL could could be a really good thing for him. Now we also both agree on a former Brave who we both like, Kurt Suzuki. Unfortunately. We both got him going to the Mets. Fits just too good. They've had no catcher for like the last decade and a half. So since Piazza retired, really, um, I think that that's too good of a fit. I think Kurt's going to want to start. I think Kurt has earned an opportunity to start. People can mock his defense all they want, but I think that Kurt is a better. I think he's a better starting catcher than what half the league is trotting out there. I think so too. And you you look at who they got now. It's Kevin Ploiecki and Devin Mezzarocco. And Travis Darno is is just not gonna hit. You Travis Darno is made of like paper mache. Yeah, the, the, he's got that that Mets curse. You know, every time you turn around, it's it's something new. And uh, I think Kurt could. I don't think that he's got that deep seated Atlanta loyalty where he's just gonna be like, oh well, I, I don't want to go play for a, a contender, a uh, a rival of this team because he used to play for the Nationals. You know, the, that type of stuff is not. Uh, not huge for him. I think that he actually would kind of make them not a contender because that's that's preposterous. But I, I think that he <laughs> could, make them better could, than they were. Absolutely, I think that they could absolutely be over five hundred next year. Put him with Cespedes, him right there with Cespedes in that lineup, and you've got at least two guys that you have to worry about. 
Yeah, Cespedes, Conforto, Suzuki. Brandon Nimmo can hit, man. Yeah, he just pisses me off by sprinting down on a walk. Like I, I don't know why, but I hate that so much. Like I get the hustle, but like this ain't rec ball, son. It's it makes me laugh every time. I I love I love the hustle. I but I think it's really funny. I like but, hustle, uh, but that's like one of those like Lenny don't squeeze the rabbit type thing. Like I I get so <laughs> so irrationally angry when I watch Brandon Nimmo, and I just start cursing at my TV at him, just saying all these horrible things about him and his Iowa. And, and his Iowan behind and all this stuff. And I, I like if Brandon Nimmo were a brave, like he'd be a great player for the Braves to have. Cause he does a lot of things really well. Uh, and he walks a ton, but man, I might be like, I might throw something at my TV, watching him sprint down the line to first base. Uh, he's in that same mold as, as any of the other big names on this list. You'd hate him if he was somebody else. And then you, you give him the tomahawk and it's like, Hey man, you're one of us. Now. I, I still probably be like, Oh, I hate you. <laughs> Anibal Sanchez. The, this is the fourth former Brave in a row that we have uh, that we have on this list. Uh, I have uh, Anibal Sanchez going to Colorado. Uh, he's ground ball guy, and you know the, the, he he's one of those guys that could work around the cores effect. There's a very real possibility that he could turn back into a pumpkin this year. Braves were lucky enough to where it did not happen at all. But uh, I think that if if it does happen, uh, no offense, Annabelle, but I, I would not like for you don't to happen be, here. Yeah, I, I don't want you to be a brave if when slash if you fall apart. I almost so. put this one as the Braves slash as a pitching coach, but I do think that he's going to get some offers. I think he's going to go to Oakland. They've got a garbage rotation um, without Sean Manaya. Sean Manaya is like the only good starter they have. Um, I, I think Anibal goes there and he's going to be, he would slot in as their number two or three, depending on how AJ puck comes back and how some of their guys down in the minors develop. I think that he would have a big role down there. It's a gigantic stadium. So even if, if some people start lifting some fly balls, it's not as big of a deal. You don't really want him facing Houston all the time, but for a team like Oakland that just got a taste of the playoffs, Billy bean, we know is not going to spend a ton of money. I think he'll see Anibal as a guy that could come in, not just, to give you a lot of, to give you some some help on the team, but to come in and really help these young arms more than anything, just like he did for Atlanta. Mm-hmm. No, I think I, I think that's actually really fair. I think that uh, Oakland got belt, dealt such a, a crappy hand at the end of the year last year with having to you know win in ninety seven and still having to go to the wild card game and get eliminated. Manaya getting hurt. They had another pitcher out there that got hurt. So. If they're going to recreate any of the magic, they are going to need to to wind up getting some type of stabilizing force in that rotation because they're young. They're they're really young, very young, the, and and probably three years ahead of schedule. Yeah. Uh, what about Marwin Gonzalez? A lot of talk about Marwin as as the number one utility type of guy. Yeah, I could I could see him uh, being on the Braves' radar uh, just for that same. He'd be like the 2019 Charlie Culberson because he can play anywhere. But uh, I have him going to Philadelphia just because for as much as they were moving guys around, you know, Santana's going to play third and now Hoskins is in left. Oh, he's a wet dream for Gabe Kapler. Well, I mean, if you're going to – if that's how he's going to manage and if he's just going to keep his style in that same vein, well, then – you the least the front office could do is give him a guy that can actually play these positions. So since he can do that, I think that he would he could be like a true super utility guy because you're gonna 
you know, put him in left while you've got Hoskins at first, or put him at third while you've got Santana at first. Or you can. It makes sense. He's a Swiss Army that. knife. You can do a little bit of everything with him. Well, I I would be curious to know you have him going to Oakland as well. I do. So I'd, I'd be curious to know why you've got him going out there. Because I don't think he'll be super expensive, which is a big thing for Billy Bean. Uh, he's a really good offensive profile. He can play both corner outfield slots. He can play all over the infield as well. Uh, they like to do things as well. Uh, Bob Melvin is a wizard as a, as a manager, even just after one season. What he did with that team was phenomenal. That was with Mark Canna starting in left field for most of that year. Uh, yeah. Marwin is a, is a step up. He gives them a switch hitter, which you know is something that Oakland would love to have to be able to be completely versatile with their lineups to slotting because I think that they, they'll probably bring Jed Lowry back as well. Uh, I think Marwin's a guy that he's – I don't think he's going to want to go to a bench role. I think he's going to want to maintain starters – well, starters innings. I was going to say starters minutes, but starters innings type of thing. Uh, I think Philly is a, is a good idea too. I think that all things considered, he'd probably like to stay in the AL where he's kind of made a name for himself and he can DH on some days too. I think out there in Oakland is a really good fit for him to be uh, a mainstay with that team to go over there with Matt Chapman and with uh, Jed Lowry and, and a few of the other young guys. Good call. I see it. I can now, see that. From one utility guy to potentially another, Asdrubal Cabrera. I have Cabrera going to Milwaukee. Uh, they are going to have an opening at third base. And at second I, base, by the way, because they're not positive about picking up Jonathan Scope. Interesting. Well, and the, keep it what they, what they did last year, like when they were moving everybody around and Travis Shaw is starting at second base. I mean, that's. That did not wind up killing them at any point, but it could have. It's they they managed to balance on the tightrope, but uh, I think having somebody like Cabrera, who's like a true, you know, he's not great at short. He's not great anywhere, but he's good at a number of different places. And I think that if they're going to wind up moving on from Mustakas and possibly moving on from Scope, then you're going to need that level of uh, versatility in there. So. I think that's a good one. I have him going to Cleveland where he started his career. Now that he's kind of changed his player profile, uh, I don't think he's going to be super expensive, but he's a guy that in Cleveland, he's a guy that can kind of float around a couple different places. Now, Jose Ramirez and Francisco Lindor are going to be mainstays in the lineup, but he can play third. He can DH uh, whatever they want to do with Edwin and Carnacion. I think he's a a pretty interesting guy. Uh, I think they'd like to have his bat. If they don't get Mike Moustakas, I think they would make sure that they got us Drupal Cabrera. Because I don't think there's any way, or who do I have? I had him. I don't think I've had him getting a third baseman. So if that's the case, then I think that Osdrubal would go there. They'd move Jose Ramirez back to third and put Osdrubal at second. Because there's no way that they start Yandy Diaz for an entire season. No, I think you're right. And Cabrera, Cabrera's still going, man. He had a really, really good year last year. Really and good year he, offensively. If he was willing to be a utility dude, I would love to have him off the bench for the Braves. Sure, sure, sure. And uh, I, th- I think there will be a lot of consideration given to Marwin and as Drupal as uh, or players like them with that super versatile. You talked about Daniel Robertson. I think that you said that he's uh, very much. A, uh, he's the one like, I want. I want him so badly. But he's he's kind of utility too, right? He can play anywhere. He can play anywhere. Uh, he's a shortstop coming up, so you can shift him over to second. You can also play him at third a little bit. But I want him because the dude has like a three eighty nine OBP. 
that's solid. <laughs> that's very good. Um, yeah. Zach Britton, we both agree, coming to the Braves. Uh, Braves got to get some bullpen help. Britton coming off a down year is another one of those buy-low guys. Braves like getting guys that Roger McDowell screwed up. So I think that Britton is another guy to, to add to the collection there. Yeah, if anybody between Gossman, Marcakis, uh, O'Day, and Brock have had a chance to talk to Britain that they all played with in Baltimore. I think that they would, you know, if anybody's got anything good to say, then, um, then he would certainly be somebody who found out. Andrew and when, Miller, by when, the way, we gotta, we gotta when, get this going pretty quick. We're running low on time. So I'm going to cut you off right, a little bit right, right there, right. but, uh, Andrew Miller, I've got him going to the Red Sox. This was a bad year for him. A lot of injuries, but I still think Andrew Miller is one of the most talented relievers bar none closures included the versatility that Andrew Miller brings you. To put him on this Boston team would be unfair, um, but I think that's going to happen. Yeah, I could I could see that, and uh, I haven't gone to the Nationals because I mean we we ragged on the Nationals bullpen all year long, and rightfully so. It was quite bad, so I think that they can look at him and say, "All right, maybe he dealt with some a bunch of different things in 2018, so in 2019 he could be back to being that guy." That could be a huge ad for Washington if they can lock down a guy like Miller. It would. I hope they don't do that. Adam Ottavino. I've also got Ottavino going to the Red Sox as I think Boston never really runs out of money. And how do you make a World Series team even better? Upgrade the two worst pieces that you have, which are in the bullpen. So you bring Ottavino in that super insane slider, and, well, a gnarly team just got even gnarlier. Yeah, that's uh, that is a great fit. I've got him. I've got him going to Oakland because I think that Oakland's going to wind up losing Juris Familia, and uh, and also for they got Fernando Rodney for the stretch too. Yep. And I think that he's he's going to be out. He kind of so, turned back go- into a pumpkin. His tightrope yeah. walking. Fernando Rodney. For those of you that are unaware of his career, Fernando Rodney has never been a shutdown guy. Like I think didn't he have a year? Where, Francisco Rodriguez had a year where he had like sixty saves. But yeah. Fernando Rodney's a dude that has always put runners on second or loaded the bases with one out, just a tightrope out of it. And this year at forty one, it finally bit him again. He's like a Rodas Vizcaino. He's like AJ Minter. Yeah, yeah. They love they get the job done, but they love to play with fire in the meantime. But no. uh, but Oakland's gonna have some holes in their bullpen, and I think that Ottavino he's gonna be expensive, but I don't think he's gonna get like ten million dollars a year. So if they could get him, uh, I love that fit. I think you're dead right. I think that'd be a perfect fit for him. Um, yeah. They're out there with there's there's still some water in that air to to make the ball a little heavier. That'll help that slider because <clears throat> that's one of the things that you worry about uh, leaving a place like Colorado where there the air is a lot lighter you kind of wonder a little bit how his slider is going to play up. And his slider, interestingly enough, did not move as much away from Colorado as it did in Colorado. But you get a place where the atmosphere is a little bit different, even though it's a little bit heavier instead of lighter, that will manipulate the ball a little bit more. So it might not be the same movement that he gets, but it'll help add some movement on his slider. It it makes sense that there would be some type of – difference between how he pitches and or how the the ball is affected by the, the core's air. I mean the core's effect it it hits everybody in individual ways. So it's also why um, I wonder if John Gray can really throw ninety eight or if he just throws ninety eight Colorado. I don't know. Trade him to the Braves and let's find out. <laughs> but speaking of former athletics, you just named him Juris Familia. I've got him going to the Braves. Uh I know there's some if for those of you that followed for a while, there was the domestic violence thing uh, that turned out to be kind of uh, not true. All things recanted and uh, 
kind of came out that the woman was kind of lying about that. So all that's put behind him. When you look at Jerry Familia, what he is is he's a very, very good bullpen piece, uh, very strong sinker, very good ground ball guy, high strikeouts, a little bit like an Erotis that doesn't walk as many people. And I think that that's a good thing for Atlanta's bullpen. That that would be a solid addition. The the character, th- yeah, the the domestic violence thing was that whole situation was was really bizarre. Um, and even with with things being recanted, I, I don't know if it's one of those uh, that since it, it kind of touched him, if they would say, ah, well, sorry. You gotta you, you know. gotta read into that one because uh, I thought the same thing until I read like till I went into the actual report. Okay, I'll I'll do do my homework uh, on that, but I actually have. Um, I have him going to the Red Sox for the for similar reasons what we were just talking about with them adding Miller and Ottavino. Uh, yeah. I think that he's he can still he can still hurl it. He's uh, he looked really good this year, and Boston has enough money to throw <laughs> for anybody, anybody. So um, yeah, shore up the bullpen and try and make a run at the World Series again. Now this next one's kind of interesting. DJ LeMahieu, kind of a throwback player. Uh, he's a 215 pound second baseman with zero power. Uh, and zero power in cores, which means zero, zero power. I've got him going to the Nationals just because they're one of the few teams I know of that actually need second base help. Uh, and I think that that's a team he could start for. He's a good hitter. He just doesn't have any power. Yeah, which probably makes my fit for him as the Giants uh, not not great. I think that it's not even so much about LeMayhew trying to advance – his game so much is the fact that the Giants are they can't continue to roll out Joe Panic and expect to win more than seventy five games a year, uh, which is not a huge hit on Panic. And Lemayhew is not a giant upgrade, but he kind of fits that mold of hey, this guy's thirty and in decline. <laughs> it does. It fits the Giants' mo. I just think yeah. that Washington doesn't have any real second baseman prospects coming up. Yeah, I mean they they they're gonna have to make a move somewhere. They they really. I hope for the Giants' sake, look, you won three World Series this decade. It's time to rebuild, and that's okay, but you don't have anything in the pipeline. You got a new GM coming in who could come in and make some moves. It's time. Just give us so, Madison Bumgarner and then burn it all down. That's all I ask. No, trade the first manner of, matter of business should be trade Madison Bumgarner and Will Smith to the Braves. That's the first thing that GM should do. And then sign G.J. LeMayhew because – it would make me right. <laughs> All right, two more players left. Jose Reyes. Uh, I don't know exactly what the name of the team was that Ricky Vaughn was playing with in the California Penal League, but I'm pretty sure that that's <laughs> where that's where Jose Reyes winds up and belongs. I I, I hate Jose Reyes. I've got him going back to the Mets because it's the most Mets thing ever. They deserve him, and they're, they'll give him a send off like they did David Wright, which is very much Mets. Uh, Weird. Last player, Freddie Galvis. And I hate you, by the way, for, for putting this down. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I think that he's a – I think he would be a solid bench addition for the Braves. I, I do. He's he's unspectacular. He's like – he would be Ryan Flaherty of next year, but at least it's somebody that you could give some at-bats to. And he always played so well against the Braves that I think that playing for the Braves could actually do him well. I don't think that he would – I don't expect him to come in and be like this massive difference maker like a Culberson type. But um, I'm a big fan of your answer just in all caps, not Atlanta. <laughs> yeah, because what you've just done is you've just made Chip and Joe have to go change their pants. For the amount of, of just fawning and creaming over Freddie Galvis, 
I could not bear to have that dude on the Braves. He's not really good at anything. He's not a good defender. Like He's okay at best. He's not a good defender. He can't hit. All he does is hit against the Braves in inopportune moments. Dude, uh, no. Hey, man. I'm. Yeah, you're right. Whatever. Whatever, man. <laughs> Braves are going to sign Freddie Galvis. <laughs> I, you know, with, with how my luck is, I wouldn't doubt it. Uh, if that happens, I will be very angry, and I'm sure you'll hear Chip and Joe talk about it incessantly to the point that they're calling for him to be a starter. But that is uh, that is all we have time for on this episode. So, Doc, thanks as always for coming on with me. Always blessed. Everybody out there, thank you guys so much for enjoying the episode. Again, make sure you go to mybookie.ag, use our promo code BRAVES25, and get some money. Uh, Everybody else out there, have a great week. We will catch you guys next week on The Platinum Sombrero. Thanks, bye. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader, too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, They'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.